get to hit them back, even though they shouldn't have done that. When your brother excludes you, you don't yell an insult at them, even though what they, they shouldn't have done it and your feelings are hurt. We teach our kids to respond with gentleness, both to protect their sibling from that insult or from that hit, hit but also to protect their own hearts from the harm that they're committing. We teach them to find other ways to express their feelings to protect them both. It's a wonderful and very humbling thing to be a parent of little kids because you're always reteaching yourselves those same lessons that you're teaching them. Today's parable is reteaching that lesson as well. What it means when your neighbor takes your toy or your promotion or when you think they're wrong, when we disagree with each other. It teaches us to respond to them without harming ourselves in the process. The parable also expands our imagination about what it means to live in today's world. After Jesus came, but before he returns, with Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension, we have a taste of what's to come, a taste of the kingdom of God. We have hope for justice and reconciliation, and yet when we look outside, in our families and in our own hearts, it's clear that not all is well. We're faced with evil and injustice every day. This parable teaches us what it means to reflect Christ in the face of the world's brokenness. So today we'll look at two questions, um, the questions that this parable is trying to answer. First, how is the kingdom present when evil still exists? And then how do we as Christians respond to evil without uprooting ourselves in the process? So what does this parable tell us about the world in which we live? Jesus begins the parable like this. The kingdom of heaven may be compared. And then he tells about the field sown with the good seed, by the farmer and the bad seed sown by the enemy. How can this field with the bad seed be the kingdom of heaven? We can't fully comprehend uh, what the kingdom is like, but the Bible isn't silent about it either. The book of Revelation, for example, gives us a beautiful picture of the new heaven and new earth. Sin and sorrow are washed away. All things are made new. There's no need for the sun because we reflect the light of the glory of God. This is a picture of the kingdom, and it's so, so good. And it's confusing also because it doesn't sound like that field with the bad seed sown by the enemy. Jesus says this is the kingdom, but what we know of the kingdom and what we see around us just doesn't match up. Later, though, Jesus explains this parable by saying the field is the world. Now, I think this makes a little bit more sense to us. We see evil and injustice every day. We look outside and we see people without homes, we look on the news and it feels like there's violence and despair everywhere and we're bogged down in our own sins. The field with the bad seed becomes easier for us to believe. You see, this parable is about the mystery of a kingdom that's broken through but is present in a way that we don't expect. When Jesus came, the kingdom came with him, breaking, breaking into this fallen world that was crying out and is crying out for redemption. Jesus said, the kingdom is here among you. The disciples expected that this would mean that evil would be washed away. Their people would experience victory over their oppressors. You might recall at the beginning of the book of Matthew, John the Baptist says that the kingdom is near, that the Messiah will gather up the wheat and burn the chaff. I imagine these words echo in the disciples' ears. They expect that evil will be cleansed from the kingdom, and they're frustrated when it doesn't happen. I think we carry similar frustrations, too, and similar expectations about what the kingdom will look like. 
For us American Christians, perhaps we're wondering why uh, racism seems to be growing, why children die to violence, and why the church hasn't been a safe place to so many. How is this true when the kingdom of God is among us? This parable helps us to understand that the kingdom is a process. It's already here, and yet there are still things to come. In the meantime, evil is still at work. Jesus tells us that the, evil, the enemy is the devil. The devil isn't something that we talk about a lot at church these days, and I do think there's some good reasons for that. C.S. Lewis warns that when reflecting on the enemy, we not fall into two common traps, either refusing to believe that the enemy exists or spending too much time thinking and worrying about this enemy. Jesus reminds us that when we continue his mission to sow seeds of faith and love, compassion and justice, the enemy is sowing seeds of fear and hatred, selfishness and despair. When we face these difficulties and we forget about the enemy, I think we're prone to think that maybe God isn't with us or maybe God is the one causing these evil things. That's the risk of forgetting about the evil one. So it helps us to remember that the kingdom has broken through, but it's not yet fully present. We need not spend too much time worrying about it either, though. The final judgment is still to come. Satan's waging, waging a war that's already been lost at the cross. This is the kingdom that Jesus is talking about. It's already present, but also in process. There is evil, but an evil that's already been defeated. So this is the world that we live in, right? This is the kingdom, breaking through, but not yet fully here. So our second question is, how do we as Christians live in this kingdom where evil still persists? Because of the instruction of the sower to let the, greed, the weeds grow with the wheat, this parable has been used um, as an excuse for passivity. God will deal with evil. We wait for the final judgment. For now, we'll just sit tight. However, I think when we hold this up against Jesus' other teaching about caring for, the, for those who, um, for widows and orphans, caring for the least of these, for cutting out uh, the parts of our body that causes sin, clearly we're not called to a passive approach to evil. So what are we supposed to do? First, I think what this parable is trying to show us is that we leave God, judgment for God. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers. God's work of judging or eradicating evil is God's work, and thanks be to God for that. When we leave judgment up to God, we're free to hope that not one single person would turn back their back on the grace of God, on the grace offered by Christ, and that all would experience the judgment of God defined by his love for creation. We don't know how God will sort things out in the world to come, and for us, that's a really good thing. It's truly a gift to not have that on our shoulders. Jesus warns that in an effort to eradicate evil, we may uproot ourselves. So we leave that responsibility up to God. So if we're not supposed to respond to evil by being passive, and if we're not supposed to uproot ourselves in trying to eradicate it, how do we respond? Well, we're to respond not with judgment, that's God's. Instead, we respond with love. I'll repeat that. This parable teaches us to respond to evil not with judgment, but with love. One of the most significant tensions, I think, at churches and government and schools and universities these days 
is being absolutely clear on who doesn't belong because it feels to us fallen people like justice. But what it really is is judgment. We so often confuse judgment with justice. Public life today is mired in this confusion. We think it's more important for us to say our piece rather than doing it. We care more about being right or pointing out who's wrong than doing what's right. Or at least we think it's the same thing. We think judgment is justice and it's what's, up, up, it's what's uprooting us. I know for me, when I see people on the news or in government doing things that I perceive as harmful to the Christian mission for racial reconciliation or equity or caring for all image bearers, I'm quick to maybe post something about it on Instagram or get really angry about it and talk about it. And it hardens my heart towards those who think differently than me. I fail to see people as my brothers and sisters and so quickly embody the warning from James 3. With the same tongue that I praise our Lord and Father, with it I curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. I think this is what Jesus is talking about when he warns of uprooting ourselves. In his book on the parables, Klein Snodgrass says of this story, we cannot be tolerant of evil, but the destruction of all evil is not our task. We must stop being evil and we must stop evil from destroying. But how can we stop evil without being evil in the process? That may well be the human question. I want to say this again because it gets to the core of what this parable is all about. We must stop being evil and we must stop evil from destroying. But how do we stop it without being evil in the process? Uh, my husband and I, we just celebrated our 17th wedding anniversary yesterday and we went to see a romantic movie, Oppenheimer. Um, and I really think it embodies some of what we're talking about here in terms of try, becoming evil and eradicating evil in the process. You know, in the beginning of the movie, they're developing the A-bomb, the a and they have this narrative to themselves. This will be the thing that stops all war. This will be the thing that prevents future nuclear bomb proliferation. And then as soon as the bomb drops, we see the ramifications of that. They see it on the screen, for those of you who have watched the movie. Um, they see the impact of what they've done. And so Oppenheimer, for the rest of his life, is trying to bring that into check, find ways to keep things in check. Um, this is what it looks like to become evil in the process of trying to eradicate evil. I can't tell you how encouraging it was the last time I was here to learn about your work to make meals for refugee families. Rather than railing about policies, which can have a time and a place, you're making a meal. What if instead of lamenting the presence of, the presence of groups who spread hate, we extend our hands to our neighbors in acts of compassionate reconciliation? I fear acts of judgment in the church are tearing up our roots without us even noticing. It's cursing with the same mouth that lifts praise. It's hitting back when our toy is stolen, and yelling that insult when we're exclu excluded. Judgment without love and care looks like resentment and bitterness. It's what leads to dehumanizing our enemies. It's what leads to violence. Martin Luther King Jr.'s principles of nonviolent resistance ring in my ear as I think about what it means to respond to evil without becoming evil, to respond with love. In his book, Stride Towards Freedom, the notion of nonviolence emphasizes, he says, winning the friendship and understanding of the opponent, not humiliating them. He argued that it's evil itself, not the people committing evil, that should be oppressed, should be opposed, excuse me. 
He says, the nonviolent resistor not only refuses to shoot his opponent, but he also refuses to hate him. This, friends, is what it looks like to grow roots in the face of evil. This is what it looks like to pursue not judgment, but justice. So in this season, this liturgical season of ordinary time, we're asking ourselves what it means to carry on the mission and ministry of Jesus, what it means to be obedient to the Great Commission. Perhaps we'll find ways to exercise nonviolent resistance, like the way Martin Luther King Jr. is talking about in those quotes. But I wonder if cooking meals for refugees and for strangers, opening our doors to our neighbors in need, and striving against any form of injustice might look more like addressing evil than we realize. Bob's been reminding us that the character of Jesus is 100% motivated by compassion, 100% motivated by love. When we keep this character in mind, we need not fear becoming evil in our efforts to address it. Yes, the evil one is sowing bad seeds, but we are free from the burden of eradicating it. That's with God. Instead, we remain faithful to the compassionate mission of Christ. Jesus has come, the kingdom is breaking through, and the battle with the enemy has already been won. Thanks be to God. Amen.